This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at San Diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Volkelbaum. And it is time for another cocktail hour. Yes, it is. And since it's summer, we thought we'd do the daiquiri. Yes. Also, July 19th is National Daiquiri Day. Yes. Every day. Can be. Can be National Daiquiri Day. But as the as of recording this, that is coming up. So you'll be prepared to really appreciate the full history of your daiquiri. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And here is the quote of the episode. The daiquiri is a very simple but elegant cocktail made with rum, fresh lime juice, and sugar. Uh, that's it. And that's from Phil Green. And I will say... That before doing this episode, that does not sound like what I thought a daiquiri was. I've had some bad college days. <laughs> I, uh, I've been on the, on the cheap cruise with a huge... With a giant frosty... giant <laughs> cup of very sweet... Like bigger than your head. Yes, yes. A very, yeah... Cloyingly sweet, one might say. Probably neon colored. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Lots of things sticking out of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, there's a time and place for those. But those are perhaps not a good representation of what a daiquiri is. It is. Hey, if you dig that, go for it. Go for it. I I was telling Lauren the other day that a lot of people in my family love, love that kind of daiquiri. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, if you enjoy it. 
More power to you. Yes. Yes. And also, I wanted to give a shout out to Tasting Table for their article titled on the daiquiri titled, The Rum Also Rises. <laughs> that is good. That is oh, good. Oh, wow. That's... And yeah, um, a lot of you probably know, but Hemingway has a lot to do with the daiquiri. So, yeah. Yes. Okay. So, the daiquiri. What is it? Well, as with many cocktails, what a daiquiri is depends on who you ask and when and where. Yeah. It started off as a sweetened, sparkling, uh, possibly lemon rum punch, like a, like a rummy, sparkling lemonade or limeade, possibly. What many folks do think of when they think of a daiquiri is a frozen and fruity rum drink, blended ice, fruit, or artificial fruit flavoring, sugar, and rum, something like a rum smoothie or a rum slurpee. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to today's classic cocktail enthusiasts, it's as Phil Green said above, a delicate balance of usually light rum, about two ounces, fresh lime juice, about three quarters of an ounce, and a sweetener, often simple syrup, that's one-to-one sugar-to-water dissolved, um, usually made from a, from a brown or, or raw sugar, like a demerara. You shake your mix with ice and serve it up, that is, uh, strained from the shaker into a glass with no ice. Uh, maybe serve with a twist or a thin slice of lime to garnish. Sort of like a rum margarita. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A bartender at NYC Cuban bar, Jane Danger, says of the daiquiri, the hardest drinks to make are the simplest. They really let the ingredients shine through, and it shows the strength of a good bartender to be able to balance them. If you want to test a bartender, order a daiquiri. And see what you get. Ooh. That sounds like a challenge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they get it really right, it really is just this beautiful, tart, sweet drink with hints of, like, floral and maybe, like, toffee and savory flavors in there. Yeah, this is another drink I'm going to have to go and get a, uh, quote, real one. Oh, yeah. Like, possibly immediately. Like, I really I kind of want to go. I joked about going before we started, but because we have bars downstairs with takeout cocktails, which is a terrible plan. Yeah, terrible and enjoyable. Uh, <laughs> we can we can do we could do so after we can fix this. Yes, we can we can. But let's take a look at these ingredients. Yes, rum. Mm-hmm. As I said in our Mai Tai episode, I think that rum is considered sort of pedestrian sometimes because of its negative associations with like girly drinks um, and the you know systemic sexism in our culture that paints anything girly as not good. Yeah. But rum is as amazing and complicated a liquor as whiskey or tequila. The simplest definition of rum is that it's a liquor distilled from sugar. But you can use any type of sugar product, from um, from fresh-pressed sugarcane to boiled molasses, and then treat that distillate in any number of ways during aging to create all of these different flavor profiles in your finished product. This first happened in the Caribbean, uh, where sugar producers had a lot of molasses on their hands. Mm -hmm. And molasses, as we sort of covered in our sugar episode, is a byproduct of the sugar industry. For most rums, uh, white or light rum included, you're probably going to start with molasses as your sugar base. You boil down your cane juice a bit, seed it with already formed sugar crystals to spur the crystallization process, then centrifuge out the crystals from the remaining liquid. The remaining liquid is brown in color and has a sort of rich, smoky flavor to it. And that is molasses. You ferment that with yeast, 
Yeast oh, poop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then distill it, and it comes out clear. For white or light rum, uh, it's aged for up to a year in probably stainless steel tanks, maybe uh, for a really short time in oak barrels to kind of smooth the bite out uh, while preserving the clean flavor and avoiding any of the notes or colors that you get when you age something in wood. If the oak barrels are used, it might be charcoal filtered before bottling. And the result is clear, light tasting, slightly sweet, maybe with a little bit of a rich or savory or floral flavor to it. It's also cheaper than a lot of darker rums because it's not aged as long, so it's easier to make. Makes sense. Don't have to bustle a bunch of barrels around. Mm-hmm. Next, lime juice. Lime juice. Yeah, and y'all, y'all know what lime juice is. <laughs> we should, we, we got to go into a deep dive, Lauren. Oh, we should definitely do limes oh, as an episode. Absolutely. Soon. I am all in. Excellent. Um, If you are making cocktails at home, squeeze your limes fresh, y'all. Don't mess with that pre-bottled lime juice. Just wash your hands after because citrus citrus is hard on your skin and can even create sunburn if you're outdoors. Uh, Sierra Margarita episode for that one. Mm -hmm. And then finally, Demerara. Uh, This is a type of crystallized sugar that has not had all of the molasses stuff spun out of it during the crystallization process. For this reason, it's sometimes called a raw sugar but really, it's just a less refined than white sugar sugar. Uh, Demerara is light brown in color, and the sugar crystals are usually a little bit bigger than your typical refined sugar crystal. It has a little bit of a toffee-like flavor to it. Mm-hmm. Note here that famous cocktail nerd Jeff Beachbum Berry swears by using white granulated sugar dissolved in the lime juice instead of a Demerara syrup. He says that simple syrup ruins the mouthfeel of the drink, and that uh, dark sugars will ruin the delicate flavor of the drink. So, you know, do what you want. Experiment at home. Mm-hmm. We encourage everyone to have their own take on things. Yeah, you don't have to be like the beach bum. <laughs> you can be your own type of bum. Hey, Je- Jeff Beach Bumberry has some really good knowledge in him. He's what? got a lot of a lot of tiki know-how. I mean, he has a fantastic name. Yes. So... More power to anybody who, who's like, you know what? I'm the beach bum. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can only own, aspire to that level of own it. nickname. <laughs> uh, the modern daiquiri is, in bartending circles, perhaps more properly called the daiquiri number one. There's also daiquiri number two. It adds orange juice and orange curacao to the mix. And, yes, a daiquiri number three. What? Which is the Hemingway version with grapefruit juice and uh, maraschino liqueur. Mm-hmm. Also, just out of saying a quick, quick, uh, quick science note, bartending personality Mr. Lion, f- uh, formerly of White Lion, sometimes creates a limeless daiquiri by mixing four puckering ingredients that are not lime juice, citric acid, malic acid, tartaric acid, and phosphorus acid with rum and simple syrup to make a no-lime, no-lime daiquiri. A no-lime daiquiri. Because he can. Because he can, and so can you. There's a lot of experimentation you can do. See, there you go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the history of the daiquiri has seen a lot of experimentation. Oh, goodness, yes. Yes. And we're going to talk more about that after we take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. 
Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at San Diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I've never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. To talk about the history of the daiquiri, you have to talk a bit about the history of Cuba. Mm -hmm. About 100 miles south of the U.S., Cuba has a climate ideal for growing a few very profitable crops. Um, Two of Cuba's primary crops were tobacco and sugar, and we talked a little bit about that in our sugar episode. Um, But processing sugar was on the complicated side, and it did create a lot of this molasses as a byproduct, which was not the easiest thing to get rid of. Yeah. For much of Cuba's history— Spain controlled the island, but Britain challenged Spain's ownership. Both sides utilized whatever they could for access to all of the resources the Americas had to offer, including pirates. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) British sailors of the time, the time being the 18th century, were allowed one gallon of beer a day. This, on long journeys at sea, added up to quite a substantial amount of beer. A pint of rum was considered an acceptable and easier to obtain 
equivalent. Sure. Mm-hmm. And like we mentioned in past cocktail hours, the British Navy was seriously trying both to sober up and to fight scurvy. And in 1740, Admiral Old Grog Vernon decreed that the ration of rum must be mixed with water and citrus, usually lime juice. That's where limey came from. Mm-hmm. Um, this sobered up the, the, the British Navy and improved their health as well and became the framework for many, many cocktails, including the daiquiri. Oh, yeah. Uh, the French islands of Martinique and Guadeloupe had tea punch by the 1880s, which is lime, sugarcane syrup, and uh, rum agricole, which is a type of rum made from fresh-pressed sugarcane juice. It's a really close rel- relative, but... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Jumping ahead to the Spanish-American War, which was caused in part by America's Monroe Doctrine, basically telling Europe, get out of our hemisphere, Cuba played a big role in the Spanish-American War. And the U.S. was actively aiding the fight for Cuba's independence from Spain. America's soldiers made landfall on a beach by the name of Daiquiri, which was a short distance away from Santiago's iron mine. After the war was won, the U.S. occupied Cuba and benefited from its resources just as Spain had. Another fellow benefiting was an iron miner by the name of Jennings Cox. One night, Cox had some folks over for a little get-together, but soon faced a quandary. He was out of gin. Oh, no. (laughs) But did he panic? I think not. (laughs) Yes, that was a mummy reference. Um, (laughs) he, He ran out and procured the first liquor he could find, which was rum. He whipped together a punch out of rum, lemon, mineral water, sugar, and ice, and presto, party saved. The guests loved it, so much so they wanted to know the name of it. Cox felt that rum, or tum, sour, which is pretty much what it was, didn't do it justice. So instead, he named it after the nearby beach, Daiquiri. Or I guess at the party, P.D. Pagalucci did. Or, (laughs) because it wouldn't be a cocktail hour if there were not multiple origin stories, it's possible that Cox simply decided the drink, which engineers in his employ enjoyed every morning at 8 a.m. at the Venus Bar, needed a name. Or <laughs> Cox wasn't involved at all. Instead, a general of the Spanish-American War, William Shafter, who took a drink of the Cuban rebels and added ice to it, presto changeo, called it daiquiri. I read in some places to sway qualified engineers from U.S. to Cuba, they were given high salaries and rations of tobacco and local rum. Bacardi Carta Blanca, local rum, if you're interested. Although a, uh, a recipe of Cox's for the daiquiri does still exist. It does. Um, and it was for six people. You would take the juice of six lemons, six teaspoons of sugar, six Bacardi cups carta blanca, two cups of mineral water, and plenty of crushed ice. Put all of the gr- ingredients in a cocktail shaker and shake well. Do not strain, as the glass may be served with some ice. The University of Miami Library's Cuban Heritage Collection currently has this recipe card. Wow. I think, yeah. Huh. And there's some argument over whether it was actually lime instead of lemon in the original, despite lemon being clearly written on the recipe card. Uh, limes are really plentiful in Cuba, and lemons are pretty difficult to come by. But, you know, either way. Yeah, either way. Um, Cox may have given it the name, but bartenders had been making a mixture of rum, sugar, lemon, 
lime, and water long before he arrived. There was even a saying about the basic recipe, one sour, two sweet, three strong, four weak. Legend has it that Sir Francis Drake may have introduced a restorative rum, sugar, lime, and mint cocktail to Havana way back in the 1580s, dubbed El Draque, the dragon, (laughs) uh, by Spanish speakers who also used that as their nickname for Sir Francis Drake. Mm. Although, with the addition of mint, that's clearly more like a mojito than a daiquiri. I mean, obviously. Obviously. (laughs) The fellow most credited with introducing the daiquiri to the U.S. is one Admiral Lucius W. Johnson. And Johnson was a naval officer who became a big daiquiri fan after enjoying the drink while in Cuba. And he enjoyed it so much, in 1908, he shared it at Washington, D.C.'s Army and Navy Club and Baltimore's University Club. The D.C. Army and Navy Club bar now goes by the name the Daiquiri Lounge, and they have a plaque huh. about uh, how he, he interest, introduced it there. Both American and Cuban bartenders went about honing in on the daiquiri recipe. In Cuba, it went from a punch to a single-serving drink. Instead of being poured over ice, it was shaken and strained. And then they nixed the mineral water. All of this might have happened at the Hotel Plaza in Havana. Drink historians, you know. You know. You know. (laughs) And you do know. We have, we have more daiquiri history for you, but first, we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old <laughs> Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and 
Vlastor on the business. I understand now. It is a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. Along comes F. Scott Fitzgerald and Ernest Hemingway. And I feel that they come along in all of our cocktail hours. <laughs> it would not be one without them. Indeed. Fitzgerald was the first to include a daiquiri in a novel, This Side of Paradise, published in 1920. Hemingway? He was on a whole other level. <laughs> he even made his own version, appropriately called the Hemingway daiquiri, a.k.a. the Papa Double. I said that very French-like, and it would be much more Spanish-like. <laughs> but uh, Double, probably. Yes, yes. double. <laughs> Hemingway wanted to cut the sugar. He was diabetic. He wanted to maintain some of that sweetness, though, so he added in grapefruit juice and maraschino liqueur, and he doubled the rum. Of course. Of course. He developed a pretty well-known association with Cuban cocktails, and allegedly he wrote on La Bodeguita del Medios' wall, My mojito and La Bodeguita, my daiquiri in El Floridita. There's even a life-size bronze statue of Hemingway at the El Floridita bar. And speaking of El Floridita, uh, uh, one of Hemingway's bartenders, who got us into a couple of the important evolutions in daiquiris, was a bartender there. Oh, yes. And this guy sounds like he was amazing. Yeah. His name was Constantino Ribelegua Vert, or El Grande Constante. Or El Rey de los Cotaleros, the king of cocktails. Ah, yes. And he was legend. He invented over 200 drinks and refined or adapted dozens more. And the 1930s saw two daiquiri game changers come onto the scene. The blender and the refrigerator. So with these new frosty innovations, he started working on making the drink colder. And the first step in that process was adding back in the ice. The legend is that El Grande Constante squeezed 80 million limes for over 10 million daiquiris. What? And there's another legend that Hemingway once downed 17 frozen daiquiris, the doubles, too, <laughs> in a single sitting. Oh, my goodness. I, oh. Well, I guess it doesn't specify how long the sitting was, though. And it was Hemingway. I mean, he's pretty much the guy known for just being like, Welp, I, I live, live in this bar now. <laughs> this is where I live. It's true. I mean— there's a statue of him there. <laughs> <laughs> From 1916 to 1926, it's a prohibition, essentially. The number of American tourists to Cuba doubled from about 45,000 to 90,000. It was a relatively close, relatively cheap excursion, plus drinks. Um, and the daiquiri was a really popular drink, and bartenders were hard-pressed to keep up with demand from all of these tourists. Fred Waring saw an opportunity, and in 1938, he came up with the Waring Blender to pulverize ice and to puree fruit. 
And this is when you see a whole palette of daiquiri flavors get introduced. Banana, lime, mango, whatever you can imagine. The trademarked name of this device was the Warring Blendor. With an O. Were you supposed to say it in that inflection? Blendor! That is a bad villain right Right? there. Oh, goodness. (laughs) I can neither blend in or blend out. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I got to work on it, but it's there. It's It's there. (laughs) Absolutely. This is how all good ideas start. So the daiquiri popularity increased even more in the 40s and 50s as America was exposed to more foreign liquors, and the tiki craze was in full swing. This is also when it became a pool beachside vacation drink, kind of an escapist indulgence. Uh, Yeah, because this is also when improvements in blender technologies made blenders a staple not only in bars, but in homes as well. Yes. And as a result of two world wars and prohibition, whiskey was hard to come by, so rum and vodka saw an increase in usage. And in part to hide the strong flavor of liquors that Americans weren't used to and to save money and to show off, we get the frozen daiquiri. The AMC Mad Men official website has a pretty classic recipe for a daiquiri up there on it, but it's shown alongside this picture of a like completely incorrect photograph of a like frozen st- strawberry daiquiri. Man. It's real great. I love the image of Don Draper and all the other dudes and madmen in their office, like smoking, and then they've With got a these... ridiculous giant strawberry. <laughs> yes, yes yeah. like a crazy straw, <laughs> little umbrellas, They're wedges all very, of pineapple, very serious and modern, yeah. bendy straw. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Love I used it. to have so many of those as a kid. <laughs> There is another legend about the daiquiri, and it is that JFK sipped on daiquiris after his 1960 presidential victory. The Kennedys were known for enjoying the daiquiri. Yes, I believe um, uh, Jackie Kennedy even taught, I think they had a boat, and she taught the bartenders on the boat how to make her version of the daiquiri. Perfect daiquiri. In the 1970s, the introduction of slushy machines at bars and the increased level of sugar that they require to keep their mixed drinks, uh, you know, mixy, turned daiquiris even sweeter. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until the rise of craft cocktails that daiquiri began to escape its frozen, sugary hellscape. Again, if you like it. Nothing I just, wrong with it. I more just wanted to say sugary <laughs> Frozen, frozen sugary, sugary hellscape. <laughs> I appreciated that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the prepackaged mixes were more and more replaced with the original lemon or lime juice and sugar. There is one question I left for Lauren to solve, and it is, what about wet willies? <laughs> <laughs> what about them? I want to know everything about wet willies. All right. Wet willies, if you are unaware, is a chain restaurant that is Famous for their uh, slushy machine daiquiris. Yes. Um, because certainly that frozen sugary hellscape has not been erased. No, no, no. No, it still lives on in bars across America in plastic cups filled with neon slush sold under names like Call a Cab. Registered trademark. <laughs> the, um, the very first Wet Willie's location opened in 1990. After apparently a small group of friends did, quote, the research required to fuse the daiquiri concept with a casual, upbeat atmosphere, yielding the right mix of flavor, fun, and success. Oh, <laughs> this sounds like the, the 80s power woman coming to the office. <laughs> flavor, fun, and success. 
That's from their corporate website. Um, but but I will I will have you know. Yes, Annie and listeners. Okay, um, that there was a study out of Thailand and the United States uh, combined that that showed that exposing strawberries, blackberries, and similar fruits to ethanol helps the berries resist decay. Duh. Uh, but also makes their antioxidants more bioavailable. Oh, so I should be enjoying more wet willies, so, daiquiris. So frozen, so frozen daiquiris mixed with berries are extra good for you. Yeah, getting yeah. my daily supply of antioxidants. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know there's, I you know, I couldn't think of them, but wet willies is not the only place that does this. I think like flip flops maybe. Oh, there's more than one. I think there are plenty of bars out there that do this sort of thing. Yeah. Wet Willys is just the, the big one I think of. But I know there are more. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> but moving away from Wet Willys, um, <laughs> these days, an unofficial bartender handshake might be something called the Daiquiri Time Out or the DTO. And this was a creation of Thirst Boston's co-founder and some friends, and it's pretty much a shot of daiquiri, like a, a little mini daiquiri. Yeah, it's the the DTO has become this whole state of mind, like something like Margaritaville, but less inherently depressing. Huh. Um, uh, from daiquiritimeout.com, quote, there is always time for a daiquiri, even in the face of catastrophic emergency in which life or death actually depend on immediate action, there is still always time for a daiquiri. The the daiquiri timeout is what it is is it's it's like it's like a purposeful moment. Um, Andrew Dietz has said that they conceived of the DTO while wondering if history might have gone differently had various folks stopped and taken a moment, you know, and sipped a daiquiri. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> if, I, if I can kind of finish out. <laughs> The episode with a sort of lengthy quote from him. I just, I just really enjoyed this. Um, this is from the book Drunken Told. Watching the different variants of the DTO has taught me a lot because the DTO is as much about hospitality as it is about quality. I've seen bars create DTO-only cocktail lists, mail DTOs via FedEx, make frozen DTO popsicles, dehydrate DTO into powder, use DTO-filled squirt guns, and many more. It's taught me all of the different ways that we can celebrate and collaborate in this industry and have a great deal of enjoyment doing it. As for the daiquiris themselves, I've seen an endless amount of variations at this point, so honestly, it has only challenged my understanding of just how incredibly versatile a drink like this can be. Oh, that's lovely. Right? I just thought it was, yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate It's good to take a moment, and in that moment, if you can enjoy a daiquiri. Yeah. All the better. All the better. I think I think that we should have a DTO after after this recording. I think so. I think so. Join us there in spirit, friends. <laughs> yes. Please do. <laughs> Please do. And in the meantime, that brings us to listener mail. That was a like a relaxing one, maybe. That was. That was a chill one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully not creepy. I feel like I always I don't know. It's hard <laughs> not to come off as creepy when you're saying something at the same time. I that is that is a true statement. <laughs> uh we do recognize this, listeners. Uh we we try, we try our best. Yeah. We yeah. try not to be alarming. <laughs> not all the time. Well, yeah. Sometimes we are alarming. Yes. 
Yes, perhaps a DTO would help us out with that. <laughs> Janelle wrote, Hearing your story of the uncooperative can on the show made me think of my favorite passage from my favorite book, Three Men in a Boat, To Say Nothing of the Dog by Jerome K. Jerome. In this book, three friends and their rat terrier decide to take a boat trip on the Thames, and hilarity ensues. At one point, they stopped for a picnic and tried to end the meal with a can of pineapple, but found they had forgotten their can opener. Oh, no. Attempting to open the can, the three made their way through a pocket knife, a pair of scissors, a sharp rock, the hitcher from the boat, and end up beating it with the mast. Quote, We beat it out flat. We beat it back square. We battered it into every form known to geometry, but we could not make a hole in it. Then George went at it and knocked it into a shape so strange, so weird, so unearthly in its wild hideousness that he got frightened and threw away the mast. Then we all three sat round it on the grass and looked at it. They end up so angry that they throw the tin into the river and left the place immediately. <laughs> I thought you might be able to relate. <laughs> Boy, is, can we. That is exactly how that went down. Yes. Oh, there was like non-Euclidean geometry involved. Yeah. Um... It is online if you like to watch it, a video of us struggling with a can. That's on on the Facebook, yes. It is. Mm -hmm. Kristen wrote, I loved that you discovered cream ales on your trip. Cream ales are one of my favorite beers ever. I live in San Diego, which is pretty much the craft beer capital of the universe, and living in the uber-hipster area of North Park, my house is literally surrounded by breweries, tasting rooms, good beer, and too many man buns and beards. Shutters. One of my favorite local beers is a cream ale which actually comes from nearby Vista, California, located in San Diego County, and is made at Mother Earth Brewing Company. Their Cali Creamin is always my go-to choice on any beer menu or in any beer aisle. It's so incredibly smooth, not too sweet, and very easy to drink. One of my favorite local brunch-slash-beer joints even has it on nitro, which makes it even more fantastic, and I end up crushing at least two in a short amount of time, which, of course, leads to a very interesting brunch. I don't know if y'all have it in Georgia, but I would highly suggest looking for it and trying it if you find it. It's so refreshing and would be perfect for your hot summers down there. Oh, challenge accepted. Yeah, that sounds delightful. It does. I I have seen Mother Earth Brewing Company stuff around. I have, yeah, definitely. But like we said in that episode, I always kind of assumed that a cream ale had some kind of like a a stout or porter kind of creaminess going on. So I think I've kind of skewed. But now that I know, I'm going to keep an eye out. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for the tip. Yes. We love tips like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you to both of them for writing in. If you would like to write to us, please do. Our email is foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. We are also on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at foodstuffhsw, stands for How Stuff Works. We're also on Instagram at foodstuff. We hope to hear from you. Thank you, as always, to our amazing super producer, Dylan K. Fagan, DK. Donkey Kong. DK. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. 
Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was good. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.